0: Good morning! So good to see you guys this morning. I was praying uh, earlier this week on Monday morning and just going through a a, a route that I normally walk on on occasion and I was coming up to this creek over by Cary Park and Cary Pond area and I ran into these three beautiful creatures getting a drink of water and I just, we had a stare contest. We were staring down each other. And, and, and it's just, it brought to my mind uh, Psalm 42, 1, where it says, As a deer pants for water, so my, thir- so my soul thirsts for you, O God. I want you to know that I love our church, and I'm so excited about what God is doing. And, and it, is, it is this question that I feel like the Lord gave me. Matt, do you thirst for me like those deer thirst for that water? And I answered, Yes. And if I'm honest, I said sometimes. And I I want to be all in and I want you to be all in. And I think for us, in order to get there and be there, we must continually and passionately, not just be able to quote the Bible, but to know the Bible. And what we want to do is jump into the book of Jonah over the next two weeks and really just learn some great lessons about what it means to love others, what it means to carry the gospel forth. If you've been in church for a long time, this book is very familiar to you in many different ways. I trust the Holy Spirit to remind you of some great lessons that maybe you have learned in the past and perhaps maybe some new ones uh, that you've learned. The the themes in the book of Jonah are very clear. It's rebellion and obedience and repentance and evangelism and mercy and salvation and, and mission. All of those themes come out of this book. That we're going to jump into. And, and unintentionally on our side of things. But certainly through the sovereign hand of God. The Lord used over the last two weeks. Adam and Caleb to get us ready for the book of Jonah. I thought it was so beautiful. That Adam comes back from camp. and's like I know I'm going to teach on. I'm going to teach on Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Which says I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jew first and the Gentile. And then Caleb comes in last week. And breaks down Peter and Cornelius and the gospel going to the Gentiles and and so I just feel like that there's this beautiful theme that God is orchestrating and now we go into the book of Jonah which was decided on um, back in April or May of this year that we were going to jump into this book so I remember sitting in my freshman religion class and it was Old Testament religion. And here we are sitting in the class, and I am just soaking everything up. I had come from Connecticut, and I was sitting in this classroom in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. And I was sitting down there in the class, and I remember the professor was talking to me. I loved my experience at Webb tremendously. But I remember the professor sitting there, and on one day of class, he introduced us to the concept that Jonah was not something that literally happened. It was a satire. It was a fable on the line of a fable. Not what God did, but what God could have done if he wanted to. And I wholeheartedly believe that this book is not just a story or a fable or a satire or simply a lesson in God's potential power. I believe that it's a literal event in the life and about the love and the mercy of God that is demonstrated so boldly and so clearly and a love for God of all people. Everybody in between. From the Ninevites. And then the beauty of this whole thing is that God has called us to take that love and that mercy and to extend it. And the beauty of this is he's bringing the nations to us right here in this area that we live in. From Northwest Cary to Apex and even beyond that area that God is bringing the, the nations to us. And so Jonah was one of only four writing prophets that Jesus himself mentioned in the text. Um, the Other prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah were the three others that make mention of the book of Jonah and make mention of Jonah himself. But, but Jonah received even more mention because Jesus even referenced him going down um, three days and three nights in the tomb, also like Jonah was in the will in Matthew 12, 39 through 41. Let's jump into verse one right now. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, The great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Verse three. I want to make sure you understand that there are many verses in the Bible that talk about but God, but God, but God. When God intervenes, here is a distinction right now that we should not miss. Here is God, here is God, here is God. And then this is what Jonah and how he responds. But Jonah. Introducing his rebellion. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, he went down into it to go to them, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Right out of the gate, I want to give you one really big lesson that we're going to learn this morning. Rebelling against God robs us of the presence of God. Rebelling against God robs ourselves, it robs us of the presence of God in our life to where that relationship is cloudy, is unclear, is confusing, it is weary. It is not joyful the way the Lord has said it could be and can be. So those but Jonah moments, you could put yourself in there when God says do this and we do something else. All of us can identify with that. Most of us would sit there and say, I want to know God better. I want to live for him. I want to please him. I want to honor him. But there are commands that he he gives in the scriptures that are crystal clear that they are commands. Love one another. Forgive one another. How many times do we forgive? 70 times seven. There is no limit. Go make disciples. Where you live, work, and play, go make disciples. All of these are commands that God gives to us. And... He gives us the Holy Spirit to follow through and live out those commands, the power by which we can do it. But let's let's break down uh, the first three verses or four verses together, and, and let's really start with Nineveh. Nineveh has a reputation, and it simply is not a good one. The Bible tells us that it was a great city. Now listen, the when it uses the word great, there's a little bit of a different connotation. Like if we were to say something great, we would say like, the slides from last Sunday afternoon after church, they are great. Amen? They were great. Maybe you liked the Isis after church, the, the two or the five that you had. Or, or, or like we could use the word great. Like it was great that David Amon read three chapters. I thought that was fantastic and I love everything about it. He read three chapters. That's the kind of great that we think when we use that word. But when the text is using this word great, what we're saying is it's expansive. It's really big. The wall that surrounded the city of Nineveh had three chariots wide or deep that could ride around the wall. It was massive and it was huge. It would take you three days to walk from around the metroplex in the city of Nineveh. It was extremely wicked and that happened to be a lot of, a lot of um, descriptions of some of the cities back in biblical times. The Ninevites were known as the cruelest people in the ancient world. They boasted, they were boasting in their history of their cruelty to different people. Here's a quote for you. When they would conquer another city, these are the Ninevites, when they would conquer another city, they would skin alive a lot of men and women and children and spread out their skins over the city walls. Then they would Bury, bury these skinned people while they were still alive up to their heads in the sand, put their tongues out and drive a stake through their tongue into the ground so they would languish in pain and dying of thirst. They would rape and kill the women. They even boasted about raping and killing little girls and one account describes them how they how the soldiers would impale some of them alive outside the city gates. They would behead all of these people and make a A mountain of heads outside the city. These are Assyrians. These are the people that God loves. But Jonah says, I I don't want to go there. Maybe we can identify him in some cases, sinfully. They were people that Jonah was asked to go to, and he chose not not to go there. And, And instead of going to Nineveh, he decided to go down to Joppa, to get on a boat, and he was going to a place called Tarshish. That's fifteen hundred plus or minus miles away from Nineveh. It is absolutely almost the entire, you know, United States of America. There, you're in Wilmington, North Carolina, and you say Bristow, California, it is twenty-seven hundred miles away. On forty. And so, all of us here today, maybe we can, maybe we can sympathize, maybe we can empathize. But what I want us to understand right here that is radically important as we jump into and continue through the book of Nineveh, the book of Jonah, that he tells them, to, I want you to go to the Ninevites. That's the people I want you to go to. I want you to tell them about who I am. I want you to extend that grace that's been given to you. I want you to tell them of the love that you, that you have experienced in me and through me. You are my prophet. I want you to go and I want you to tell them that. And here's what we have to do. Sometimes an open door it's not always a door that God opens. And we must be very careful to live in such a way that we're able to discern, is that door, is that door open, is that of God? Because when we are running from God, we will always justify an open door to go the different direction. When we are running and in disobedience to him, there's a warning, not every door has been opened by the door, the one who calls himself the door, and that is God himself. I have a quote for you. If you are running from God, you will always see a ship to Tarshish. If you are running from God, you will always see a ship to Tarshish. I think if we're faced with a major decision, I think we must, we must understand not the danger of living in outright rebellion. When God says, I want you to do this, and we choose not to do that, we give him sort of the Heisman. One pastor said this, you're never farther from God than when you're close to him and say no. You are never farther from God than when you are close to him and you say no. And so here's what we have right now. We have this great big picture here of Jonah. And if we're all honest, can be more like us than not like us. We can't look at him and say, oh, how could he do such a thing? Because if we're all honest, we're doing that in our neighborhood, in where we work, play, and live on a daily basis about not being a witness to others and doing what God has called us to to make disciples. May God forgive us for that. Here we see how the rebellion, our rebelling against God Um, robs us of the presence of God. I want more than anything in the world for you to experience, for you to rest, for you to marinate in the presence of the living God, for you to come up to decisions, for us to be sitting here, what do we do as a church, where do we go, what do we do, all those questions that come into life, all those things that we are faced with, I want us to be able to sit there and say, we are walking in the presence of God, we're not walking away from the presence of God. Because when we walk away from the presence of God, we will never ever know the will of God, nor will we be effective in the mission of God. And that is dangerous for us as individuals, and it's dangerous for us as a church. Let's look at what happens when when he rebels against God, what takes place, you know the story. Verse four. Here is the but God moment. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. It is paramount for us to see in this situation of rebellion that the Lord caused this storm to happen. There are things that happen to you and I in our life. There are sicknesses, there's confusion that are not necessarily, they're not as a result of individual sin and rebellion. I'm 12 years old and I become diabetic, okay? My wife's 45 years old and she gets cancer. Praise God, she's a cancer survivor and I'm just gonna declare that right now, okay? Amen to that. And so there are certain things that happen our way because we live in a fallen world. We live in the midst of two gardens. There's those things that take place. But in regards to rebelling against God, this is what God has done. I'm causing this storm to come to your life, not to pay you back, but to bring you back. And that's why I'm bringing it in your life. That's why he's hurling it to your face to bring you back, bring us back. This situation, God hurled a storm his way. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're sitting here going, Matt, I am absolutely miserable in my walk with God. And I would ask you a question. What are you saying no to? Or what are you running from? Is there anything in your life that you are running from? And then I would ask you to acknowledge, but not just acknowledge, but to repent. And we can do that because he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At the end of the day, let me just make this declaration. Whether we are in distress because of an individual sin or whether we are in distress because of we live in the middle of the garden, I want you to know that God can use all of this for his good and his glory because that is the declaration and that is the promise of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. It's a promise to the church. It's a promise to us as individuals. The lie of Satan today is that God doesn't care about us. You don't matter. And sometimes we receive his silence as abandonment. Here's what we must see here, whether it's rebellion or whether it's just silence. God is there to use these situations to let us know who he is. Not to pay us back, but to bring us back. We see in the text that god is loving and merciful because here's what takes place it is jonah listen this is so 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 critical to me i didn't see this when i was going through it again um here's what's going on jonah is rebelling against god and god doesn't just throw up his hands and say oh no in verse in verse 4 it says but god hurled a great storm at him let me tell you something that is a massive declaration not of the judgment of God, but of the grace of God. He's coming after us. He's pursuing us. He desires to have a relationship with all of us. He desires for us to rest and marinate in his presence because when we walk away from his presence, we walk away from really knowing who he is, experiencing who he is, being a part of the will of God, knowing the will of God, and participating in the great mission of God. Verse five, let's take a look at verse five. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to, of the sea to lighten it. Now the pagan mariners, not from Seattle, thank you, all got together and started to call out their God. So here, here we are. We have, these, we have these mariners. Listen, this is what they do for a living. They're in a boat. They're, they're, they're seamen. They live on a ship. This, this storm is coming, and it's nothing like they've ever seen before. So here are these pagan mariners. Polytheistic individuals saying, "Okay, call on your God, call on your God, call on your God. Let's call on somebody and hope to goodness that somebody's going to answer, and nothing happens. So they start throwing the cargo over, overboard." Verse six it says, "But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep." Now, if you take a look at one through six, it says a couple of times. Listen to me. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read it again. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He. Gone down into the inner part of the ship, he had laid down. When the scripture uses this word "down," it is a absolute um, biblical significance that what was taking place was that Jonah was on a spiritual collapse. He was absolutely crashing. There are so many things in our life that begin with a simple. I'm not going to go that way. No, I'm not going to watch this. Or yes, I am going to watch this. And so the magazine at 14 or the site viewed at 15 turns into an addiction at 40. I'm pausing purposefully on that statement because it is incredibly dangerous to those little things. like, No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Or Yes, I am. Whether it's no or yes, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Those little, little chinks in the armor. And we come closer and closer to. we are in a downward spiral again. And then what happens is, God, I'm miserable. I can't hear you, can't see you. Because why? You're rebelling against me and I want you to stop and I want you to come back. These collective no's, when not repented of, causes us to lose sight of who he is. Verse six. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So they were calling out to their gods, nothing is going on. They woke the prophet of God up. Isn't that ironic? They wake the prophet up and say, hey, we want you to start calling out on God. Verse seven, they said this, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. It's like what they would do is almost like rolling the dice, but God is sovereignly in control of everything and, and, and what lands on is his, is his plan. God in his great sovereignty reveals it was Jonah's sin, it was his rebellion, it was him walking away from the presence of God. That was the problem that was going on. And one of the greatest gifts that you and I can give to each other is our personal sanctification and our holiness and our hunger and love for God. I've been praying for our our students as they come back from camp and as they go into the school year, that they simply would not just be committed to Jesus, but they would be so hungry for him and the things of him. And that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each other as a body. Here right now, Jonah has an opportunity with a group of people who do not know who he is. These mariners, they're on the ship together, and he doesn't go and bring them to know who Christ is. For God is. So verse 8, let's go to verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah comes clean. He says, hey guys, I need you to know something. This is because of me. What I want you to understand here is there is an acknowledgement of sin, but there is repentance of sin. And the Bible wants us, yes, to acknowledge sin, but really wants us to repent of that. And that's a big difference. Oh, you know, I shouldn't have done that. No, God, I have sinned before you and I'm asking you to forgive me. Big difference between acknowledging our sin and repenting of our sin. He says he, he sent this storm, this is affecting you, and it's affecting me. And I need us to understand that what we see here right now is that our sin affects the people, especially the people that are closest to us. And this is what's taking place, this is the lesson that we can see in this text right now, is that Jonah is sitting here and he's rowing in sin, instead of being up there and trying to help and learn, he is down under the boat asleep laying there because he is on a spiritual collapse and decline. And what takes place in that situation Is that the mariners are are getting the result of his disobedience? Our sin affects those around us. Verse 11, then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet, may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12, he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is. Because of me, that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah gives them the answer for peace. He says, Get me out of the boat, and things will be better for you. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against him. And so let's just really get this straight. Hey, Jonah, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to preach the gospel to him. And so what does he say? I'm gonna flee the appearance of God. I'm gonna find a ship because we can always find a ship when we're running from God. He gets on the ship. He's going 1,500 miles away from, from Nineveh. They find out that it is his sin that is causing this great problem. And when he confesses to the mariners, what did the mariners do? They decide to exercise grace that Jonah did not exercise to the Ninevites. He said, okay, you know what we'll do? We're just going to get to dry land and throw you off over there. We're not going to throw you overboard. We're, we're just, you're not a castaway here. We, we got, we gotta, we, we're going to try to get to the board. What happens is it didn't work. They didn't even hardly go half a mile. They went in circles. The answer to sin is not do better, try harder, or moralistic, therapeutic deism. God, just do better, do better, do better, white knuckle your way through it. That's not it. The answer to sin is repentance and complete surrender to King Jesus. That's the answer right there. And that is the only answer. There is no other. There's no plan B. It's only plan A. It is the best. It is the only one. It restores God's presence in our life when we come and we repent of our sins. Verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. 15. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him to the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The mariners called out to the one true God of the universe. They prayed to him and they sacrificed to him. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah is thinking, all right, I, I'm out of trouble right now. Okay, they're out of trouble. I made a mistake. Let me just pay for it with my life. Throw me overboard and it's all over. And the great, miraculous God that we serve sends a fish to rescue him. And many scholars and many theologians and many professors all over the world, like mine in college, declared that this is just, just it's, it's what God could have done. No, it's what God could have done because that's God. Everybody could sit there and say that that's miraculous. Yes, it's miraculous because that is the definition of who we serve. It is miraculous that he got Jonah out of the water. It's miraculous that he, being an innocent man, he without sin would go to a cross, get beaten, get mocked, get nailed to a cross, come off that cross, go into a grave, and three days later he would come out. That is miraculous. That is God. That is who we serve. And so as we take a look at our own rebellion, as it screams to us, it screams to us that this rebellion that we all have experienced in some way, shape, and form, it robs us of the presence of God in our lives. And so there's really four lessons that summarize chapter one. Four lessons that sort of summarize this chapter. Rebelling against God robs us of the presence of God in our lives. Number two, our sin affects those around us. I was in high school, um, and like I I grew up in Connecticut, Um, I had come back from Lakeside Christian Camp, and like a lot of folks, man, I was just so excited. Had the the camp was so profound in my life, and I came back to my house, eighty Jocks Lane, South Windsor, Connecticut. I was hanging out at the house. We had a swimming pool and a basketball goal in the back. It was suburban life times 100, and it was just so much fun. And I remember coming back and sitting in my room, and my buddy Joe he had come over to my house right after I had gotten back and, you know, made all those declarations. I'm going to share, and I'm going to share. I'm going to tell, and I'm going to tell. And Joe, Joe hangs out. We were up in my room. He looks at it, and he sees my Bible that's laying on my nightstand. I remember this like it was yesterday. He said, "What's that?" I said, "It's a Bible." He said, "Do you read it?" I said, "Yes, yeah, sometimes." "Let's go out and play basketball." Never said a word ever. I'm going to say something right now that haunts me right there. I mean, it's, you know, he went on to make some bad decisions in life, and that just haunts me. I like it was yesterday our sin affects those around us, those around us. Number three, the storms are not meant to pay us back, but to bring us back. We serve a Savior who is walking on water, who can walk on water. And those storms that come to us, whether or not they're because of the living in the middle of the garden or it's because of our own rebellion, those storms right there are meant to bring us back to the presence of God where we can know the will of God, where we can know him himself, where we can understand the mission and we can live and serve him all of our days, which is why we are here. Why we are here. That's why we're here. And then the last thing I want us to see is that you can be sitting in here right now and maybe you are rebelling Maybe the rebellion that you have right now in your life is a rebellion because God is saying, I want you to do this in your marriage. I want you to love your wife this way. I want you to hold her up this way. I want you to, take, I want you to talk to your spouse this way. Maybe right now there is great rebellion in refusing to have the marriage that you can have by the grace and the power of Jesus himself. And your rebellion is saying, I don't want to do the hard work. And I would sit there and say that our sin is great, but our God is greater. And I would declare to you right now that if you were sitting and marinating in rebellion against God, for you to acknowledge it, but take it further than that and repent of it, and look to the God of creation who has his arms wide open and says, you are forgiven because you are forgiven. The reason he can say that is because he's the one who declared it is finished. All the debt has been paid. Our sin is great, but God, you are greater. And now you're sitting here going, that was a long time to get through chapter one. We have chapter two to do. Yes, we do. And here's what we're going to do right now. Chapter two in the book of Jonah is a prayer of Jonah being in the belly of the whale. The fish, the great fish. He's, he's, he's in the way, and he starts to pray, and so what I've done right now to be able to teach this to us is I have written a prayer that I wanna pray over our church in order, as a unique way to teach this to us this morning. Jonah is in the fish, and so what I would love for us to do is I would love to just be able to pray over you as our congregation, as a family, and being able to just lead us in a prayer that comes from uh, Jonah chapter 2. At the very end there's going to be a verse on the screen of the prayer and we are going to read that verse together in unison. The verse will be on the on the screen. It is actually chapter 9. And so I would love for you just to bow your heads and close your eyes as I just pray over us right now as we have our time together. Dear God, We see that Jonah called on you in distress. We recognize that he was in distress because rebelling against you. We as a church recognize that we rob ourselves of your presence when we rebel against you. So Lord, hear us today like you heard and answered Jonah as he sat in the belly of that great fish. We call out to you today. Some of us are weary. Some of us are in pain some confused about you and life. The cause for this in some cases is because of outright rebellion and in some cases because of the result of living in a fallen world. In each situation, the the rough waters have been tough and lonely and hard. At times, it feels like you don't care and have abandoned us. Lord, your silence has been deafening. Whatever the cause of the distress, Lord, we come to you and we recognize That We recognize you and thank you for hearing us today like you heard Jonah. We ask you for lessons to be learned and for deliverance to be granted. If healing is needed, may you heal today right now in this place. If rebellion is the case, may you boldly do whatever it takes to bring us back. And whatever we have said no to that we should have said yes, may you do whatever it takes to bring us back. Your word is full of commands to us as disciples. We ask for your forgiveness where we as a church have not forgiven like you tell us to, where we have become apathetic towards our marriages, our church, and the mission you have placed us here to accomplish. Help us, King Jesus, to remember the dangers of rebelling against you. May we resolve in our hearts to make much of you with all that we have. Lord, may we be ready to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We thank you for saving us. God, help us today to place our yes to you on the table in all things and allow you to direct where that yes goes on the map. Please take our yes to you and use it for your glory. For many of us, God, you have placed us just where you want us. You're just waiting for us to say, yes, I'm going to obey. May we not look at any of those around us as Ninevites, not deserving the gospel. We recognize that we don't deserve the gospel if we are honest. We confess that your love is for all nations. May we learn from Jonah not to bow down to vain idols as he prayed in this chapter. They are cheap imitations of you and too holy to ascribe to them what is reserved for you and you alone. So we recognize the day, this day that idols we make our relationships and money and stuff and status and approval of men and kids and things. Let us be captivated by your steadfast love and nothing else. Like Jonah, God, we conclude our prayer with thanksgiving. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for our church. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us. We thank you for hearing us in our distress. We thank you for, he- for the healing power that you give. We thank you for when we cry out to you, you hear us. Please let that truth be embedded in our hearts today. Let us be a church that believes these things. And church, I would direct your attention to the screen as we conclude our prayer together. This is verse nine. I've changed the I that Jonah used to we as a corporate declaration for us as a family. But we With the voice of thanksgiving, we'll sacrifice to you what we have vowed, we will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. Verse 10 says, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon dry land. Church, we know that God knows you better than you do. God loves you more than you do, and God is more committed to your joy than you are. Let us trust him with all things, for his glory and our good. I love you. Let's pray. God, use this song to help us to encounter you today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.